We're going to jump right into it. I want you to take notes. I encourage you to do that because you may never look at them again, but it will help you retain more if you will get a pen out and take some notes. Um, A quick DTR recap for you. We are smack dab in the middle of a series on relationships. DTR is a well-known acronym to define the relationship. But in this series, we're not necessarily looking at it from the common sense of the phrase. The angle we're taking is, how does God define our relationships? Relationships are kind of a touchy subject, and so I'm really surprised that Pastor Ross is letting me speak, because you never, ever know what's going to come out. And so if I offend you this morning, I will again echo Pastor Brent from a few weeks ago. You should email me at ross.parsley at onechapel.com if you desire to express your thoughts about my thoughts. So here we go. The Mexican molly is a species of fish in which researchers have found an odd genetic development. If you'll see this picture up on the screen, you'll notice what that odd genetic development is. You're like, hey, that just looks like a normal fish. But no, he has a mustache, people. (laughs) For some reason, over time, this mustache has become more and more prominent in the gene. And what researchers found out is that when selecting their mates, the females not shown here consistently prefer their potential men to have mustaches, just like us humans. All the ladies said, no way. In the Mexican Mali population, they're seeking to develop some sort of hipster community, it looks like. Why is this important? Who cares? It's awesome. (laughs) How about porcupines? They too have a very interesting mating ritual. This one's a bit PG, I'll warn you. But imagine that you're with me on the Discovery Channel. I won't put on a weird accent because I'll end up slipping out of it. But on the Discovery Channel, you would hear something like this. And if it offends you again, ross.parsley at onechapel.com. You'll notice these porcupines are pretty close to one another. They're not mating, for those of you that were looking to find out, but all male porcupines, this is interesting, upon approaching a female, will get about six feet from them, and then they will pee all over the female. Yeah, as I imagined, all the women are really grossed out, and all the dudes are like, six feet? He can pee six feet? If in this potential relationship the female likes that the male just peed on him, she will beckon him closer and thus the relationship begins. If not, she will shake it off like a dog with water on him and run away. Why is this important? Who cares? It's awesome. Six feet, people. How about this one? This one's more common. This is the praying mantis. And some species of spiders are quite sadistic like them. You might have heard of this. This is bad news. Here's what happens here. Have you ever heard of a black widow? Do you know why they're called black widow? Because the women are crazy. (laughs) These sadistic creatures eat the man alive. No matter how bad your marriage is, you are still alive, men. You are still alive. This is even crazier. So again, we're on the Discovery Channel, but so they're just bugs, right? But some of these invertebrates and spiders have been known to come bearing edible gifts to their spouse in hopes that they won't be eaten. 
They bring another bug or some sort of a Cinnabon. <laughs> Literally, I'm serious, they do. It's a, like a cinnamon roll. It's like they've talked about it with their friends and they'll do anything they can to avoid impeding death. It's pretty amazing. Why is it important? It doesn't matter. It's not awesome. It's really creepy. So now of the humankind, we refer to this serious business as finding a spouse. The process not, may not be nearly as awkward or violent as in the animal kingdom, thank God. But I assure you, it is just as complicated. If we look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7 in the message version, it says this. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. A simpler life in many ways. He figured it out. And then I'll amplify it a little bit. Where you won't be judged by your facial hair or peed on by your husband or eaten alive by your psycho-cannibalistic wife. <laughs> and then it carries on. It says, but celibacy is not for everyone and more than, any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life. Everyone say the single life. <laughs> to some in the gift of the married life. Say the married life. <laughs> to others. So here's where we're going to spend our time today. If you're single, divorced now or never been married, I'm aiming to speak directly to you. And remember again, ross.parsley at onechapel.com. I realize that the gift of the single life may not be a gift to you. But whether it is or is not, whether you're single on purpose or in the waiting, I'll call it, singleness can be very complicated. So we should talk about it. DTR, what should singleness look like? And listen, before the married people check out, if you've accepted the gift of the married life as Paul described it, I'm going to ask you to pay attention. I might be speaking to you a bit more indirect, but I am speaking to you. This is not a message only to the singles, no matter what my aim might be. What should singleness look like? What should we be practicing in the waiting? If I were to title this message, I would title it Single Virtues. I want to talk about four virtues and unpack them for you, about how we should be living in the waiting. A virtue is a behavior showing high moral standards. It's stuff like patience and faith and hope and love and generosity. The kinds of moral upright things that we practice to improve the quality of our lives. Number one, I want to talk to you about practicing gratitude. If you are single, on purpose, or in the waiting, we need to learn to practice gratitude. It's a practical virtue, yes, but how do we measure gratitude? Ask yourself, go ahead, internalize, how grateful of a person am I? And maybe a bigger question, how often do I express it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. My wife actually posted that on Facebook this week. And when she posts scripture on Facebook, it is so hot. I love it. Because I know she's in the word. And she's seeking to practice gratitude. The Bible says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here we are in November. And simply put, I believe a grateful person is a happy person. You ever seen somebody full of anger try to practice gratitude? They don't coexist. It's kind of a ludicrous thought. Gratefulness breeds 
happiness. Honestly, they did a scientific study, actually. Uh, if you go to Upworthy.com and you look for the video that is called The Science of Happiness, you can watch the whole video. But I want to explain it to you because it's just too long uh, to put into the message this morning. Here's what happened. A group of researchers gathered people from all different walks of life, social, economic classes, family history, and without letting them in on what the study was for, they had each person answer questions about the way they viewed the world around them, their circumstances, and the quality of life that they lived. And then they had them do something very important. They had them practice a simple exercise in gratitude. Everyone say gratitude. In this exercise, each person called somebody they knew. The researchers set it up like this. They said, who is the most influential person in your life? And they began to tell them about it. And they said, hey, okay, you can stop telling me. I want you to write it down. So they had them call these people out of the blue to express gratitude. It, it was amazing to me to see how hesitant they were, you know? It's like they were almost embarrassed to make these phone calls, even to the most influential people in their lives. Then after those phone calls were made, and they were very emotional, by the way, they were all asked nearly the same questions. The researchers only did one thing. They, they put some synonyms in there and they rearranged the order of, of the questions. They essentially gave them the same test. And here's what happened. Every single person answered more positively about their lives. All of them were measurably less harsh on themselves the second time around. The study proved over and over again, lifting others lifts you. Gratitude. It's powerful because it does lift those people that we're talking about for certain, right? I mean, if I sat right here and I pointed at Jackson without crying because I'm not a baby, and I said, I'm not going to look at you. And I said, thank you for the way that you befriend me and that you care for my kids. There'd be something that happens in him, but there'd be something that happens in me. And going further... I'm really not going to look at her, but if I looked at Valerie Kahayan, I would say, thank you for if you've, if you've oh. mustache, mustaches <laughs> six feet <laughs> if you've not been to one chapel I'm sorry, but I I will cry like a baby all morning long. And in that awkwardness, just say stuff like that. Just say mustaches, six feet, something. Help me pull out of that. But, but Valerie Kahayan and Reggie lets her do it. She watches my kids for free every week. I know, say what? <laughs> you should do it too. No. Listen, we never asked her to do that. We offer her to pay her all the time, but she won't take it. She sees it as a ministry to my family. And having two kids that are really close in age, 11 months to be exact, it is no easy task. So I appreciate her. I'm grateful for you. Mustaches. So what does this mean for us when it comes to the single life? If you're single and just can't seem to figure out why, can I challenge you? Begin to practice gratitude more often. Whether you find Mr. Right or not, It'll make you a happier person regardless. You say, if I could just find my wife, I'd know I'd finally be happy. Really? 
I know a whole lot of happily married couples that are not happy at all. Happiness is not a destination. It is what happens to us when we get going in the right direction and have the right focus. Newsflash, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Here's my happiness soapbox. I'm going to jump on several soapboxes. I almost brought one, but I thought I'd fall. But I want to talk to the singles about something. And again, ross.parsley at onechapel.com. Can I suggest that you might be single because others typically see you as some sort of opposite to happy? Maybe too mean, too boring, a victim mentality. Oh, brother, nobody likes me. (laughs) Be happy. Don't be an Eeyore, okay? It's my soapbox. I see so many people saying, I don't know why I can't find the right person. And they're just mean. It's not attractive. Into the road, nothing to do, and no hope for things getting better. That didn't quite work out. My voice is... End of the world, nothing to do. (laughs) I won't belabor this, but Eeyore is portrayed as a donkey for a reason. (laughs) Let me suggest that practicing gratitude might not only lead to happiness, but it also might lead you to be more attractive to somebody else. For some, you're going to need to share a whole lot of gratitude in order to get... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Lifting others lifts you. You guys got that? Number two, single virtues, practice humility. This is just another practical virtue we ought to aim for in life. So you ask yourself, how humble of a person am I? Think about that question. How do you answer it? Kind of tricky, right? Well, I think I'm the most humble person I know, actually. (laughs) We cannot go that route. Humility is measured by the people around us, not by me. The quality is quantified by my peers, by my friends. Do you have peers and friends that can question your humility is the question I'm asking. 1 Peter 5.5, all of you, everyone say all of you. That's everyone, single or married, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. If you're single and don't know why, you might be too proud. I love this connection between humility and gratitude. In this way, both humility and gratitude prefer others. It's not about me. My blind spots to personal development can be seen more clearly if I practice humility. With this in mind, I'll suggest that humility is perhaps one of the most important values to settle before you get married. And all the married people said, amen. How do we practically put on? How do we clothe ourselves in humility, as First Peter put it, while we're in the single life? There are obvious ways through service, right? Serving others puts us at the lowest common denominator, and we begin to wash people's feet in the physical and proverbial sense. There's this thing that happens in us. 
But here is the way I want to point out today. To practice humility is to welcome constructive criticism. Some of my soapboxes might challenge you in this way, but I'm not aiming to destroy you. It's not a destructive criticism that you should seek, but welcome the kind that helps you grow and builds you up. Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Each part does its work. You know, truth and love is one of those core principles that we've adopted as a church. If you've been around for any number of months, you have heard Pastor Ross talk about truth and love. And if you are in any kind of relationship with him, you know that he practices it. He is consistent with measuring the dose of love that he puts in something he's challenging me on with the truth. Not too harsh, but not too soft. He lives it out. So an effort to help us all, right here. Everybody take a deep breath. Now breathe out. The person behind you has bad breath, turn around and give them a high five. No. An effort to give us all a little practical dose of humility. I want to get on a few soapboxes here about the single life. Three small, simple issues that I'm actually going to read. The first one is to you ladies. So you know your Mr. Right list? You know the one? Where you laid out all the things you've just got to have, that he's got to be tall, dark, handsome, a sweet mustache, (laughs) an elaborate proposal that's YouTube worthy. Go ahead, keep your list. It's kind of weird, but keep it out there because I think you should have goals. I do not want to discourage you from that. But can I challenge you in this way? Can I suggest that you practice humility by turning that list over and making one about yourself? Ross.parsley at (laughs) onechapel.com. Why is it that I just can't find the dream guy? See, ladies, look, all the good ones are taken. I get it, ladies, I do. It's dismal out there. These single folk, these guys, they need a lot of work. Here's my challenge, though. We always attract what we project. So get another list going about the type of spouse you seek to be, not just the type of spouse you seek to get. Soapbox number one. Number two, ladies and gentlemen, if you take and post 35 selfies a day, you might need to practice some humility. It's kind of weird and causes everyone, listen, listen, cause everyone around you to wonder if you think too much of yourself or too little of yourself. We can't decide. But in truth, it is not attractive for me to be pointing out all of the really great things about me. Let people notice your new hair. You don't have to show us that you got bangs. (laughs) Number three, 
If you tell people that you are dating Jesus to avoid the anxiety of actually going on a date, don't be so cowardly. I'll get into it a bit later, but we don't date Jesus. It's weird. <laughs> we surrender to Jesus. Pulling the whole God, God card thing needs to get into your spiritual keepsake drawer right alongside your WWJD bracelet. I could go on and on, but without playing out too many scenarios here, I'm pointing at humility. I think the point is that it's time for many of us, single or married, to invite corrective criticism more often. Would you agree? But here's the key. You cannot do that if you are not in right relationship. Who has the right to come to you and say, hey, this is weird? You got to know that. It's one of the reasons that we promote Team One so often is that it's not about schlepping cases in the hallway. It's about being in a relationship with people that can say, hey, so this week I noticed that you posted like 12 selfies. And that's got to stop. <laughs> Let other people take pictures of you. That's what it's for. Okay, I'm off of that soapbox. Number three. Single virtue number three, practice self-control. As a virtue, this one kind of has an easy measurement. You ready? Self-control equals how much control do I have of myself? Thank you. I'll be here all night. <laughs> it has to do with anything and everything that tends to go out of bounds, the things we struggle to keep in order in our lives. For most of you in the room right now, you think that I'm only talking about sexual temptation. I'm not. My eating habits, single or not, I should watch what I eat. My time management, single or not, I should aim to be punctual. My work ethic, single or not, I should get a job and keep it. My financial management, single or not, I've got to be more diligent in my effort to save money, to spend wisely. Newsflash, gentlemen, if she tells you that money doesn't matter, she is lying. I will settle for a string around my finger. No, she won't. <laughs> Not true. And again, remember how I talked about humility being one of those things that we got to settle before marriage. Self-discipline, self-control, all the more. Because these things don't magically settle. They don't deal with themselves once we get married not tending to our hearts and the things that go out of bounds leads to repercussions down the road no matter what happens with your marital status. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, God's will is for you to be holy. Everyone say, be holy. To stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. So I do think I've made it clear that practicing self-control is not just about sexual sin, right? But I've got to jump up on this soapbox for a second because it's the elephant in the room for everybody that is single. I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to open your heart no matter what kind of a situation you're in. 
Here's what I want to say, and then we'll move on. Sex leads to life, always has, and always will. But outside of marriage to your life, it is also unbelievably destructive. If you're not married, stop having it. If you are, you'd better protect it. Sex outside of marriage paralyzes the quality of intimacy that's ahead of you and also the quality of your witness to those around you. It is time that we stop going out of bounds just because it feels good. Because you know what's better than good? Great. And you know what's great? Sex inside of marriage. Right, baby? <laughs> hey, I'm just telling you, two babies in 11 months, it's happening. <laughs> you know, with your wife or with your husband, that is one area of self-control. Not, not that you wouldn't lust after another and all that, but the one area of self-control, like when I'm single and I'm with somebody that I really love, I want to be with him and I can't. It's like a demon. But when I'm married, all those demons turn into angels. I, what, I don't know what that whole thing was. <laughs> is everybody still here, still with me? I'm pushing on some buttons, but ross.parsley at onechapel.com is right open for you. You can text him now. <laughs> I got a few more soapbox items when it comes to self-control. Are you ready for them? Gentlemen, actually, this one's not written. I'm going to tell you something. Let me start with this one. If you're dating a girl... And in public, you are all over one another. It's gross. And we can't help but think if you're that touchy while you're in church, what in the world is going on behind closed doors? Done. Truth and love. <laughs> Gentlemen. Oh, look, you know that's all the parents. That's all the parents. Your kids are sitting like five rows ahead of you, and she just picked her head up off of his shoulder. <laughs> That's good. Hey, parents, you have the right to tell your kids that. All right. Yeah, no, the kids aren't going to clap for that. Like, no, they don't. I'm my own man. Really? You're 15. You can't grow a mustache. I got another one for the gentleman. Okay, let me take a poll here. How many men in this room right now are single? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Okay, now I could do a matchmaker here. That would be kind of cool. No, I'm not going to do that. But here's what I want to say. This is another soapbox for me. When a proposal is long overdue, like when you've been dating since before the internet, <laughs> do not make everybody wonder if she's actually going to have to propose to you. You do not want that on Facebook or on YouTube. Well, when I know that I know that I know, you know, and then we'll proceed. Listen, I'm not talking to you if you're 16 and 17. You should stop dating altogether. But if you're 23 or 24, and you've been dating for over a year, and you are serious about this relationship, it is time to practice some self-control in the form of poop or get off the pot. 
It's time to get moving. Don't be a slouch. Truth and love. <laughs> Two more. Somewhat related. Ready? I'm still talking to the gentleman. Get your mind out of the pot thing. Ready, guys? Here's one for you that they don't want to say. No more creepster stalking. It's time to practice some self-control in the form of get a clue. Well, she just won't respond when I text her or call her or show up at her front door. If that's the case, she's probably not your wife. Self-control, get a clue, and move on. Truth and love. Here's the last one, and this is the flip side. All the ladies are giggling. Here we go, ladies. It is time for you to acknowledge our feeble attempts to pursue you. We can't hardly sweep out the garage, yet alone sweep you off of your feet. It may not happen exactly the way you dreamed of it, and definitely not in the way that you wrote it out on your Mr. Right list, but we are trying, really, and I want you to practice some self-control in the form of communication and acknowledge it. You might need to get a huge white sign and draw it out in red letters and says, I'm actually interested. <laughs> Further, ladies, if you're not interested, do not play games with my heart. Quit playing games with my heart, my heart. I don't have enough money to just keep taking you out on dates if you don't want to be with me. Please, get another big red letter sign and write out, I am not interested, truth and love. <laughs> Here's the last one. Single virtue number four. If you're single on purpose or in the waiting, it's time for us to learn how to practice devotion. Listen, this is by far the most spiritual and maybe even the most elusive, the most ethereal, the thing we cannot go out and grab of the four virtues that we're covering. But hear me when I say I think it's the most important. If we can get this, if we can settle where our devotion is, the rest of the stuff kind of works itself out. Does that make sense? John 15, verse 5 through 8. I'm just going to read verse 5. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, I am the vine. Say, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, Jesus speaking back a few chapters in John 10, verse 9, he says, I am the gate. Everyone say, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Yet Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So how do I measure my devotion to God? I think scripture is clear to define for us what right devotion looks like. Jesus comes with full disclosure about the fact that he wants to be everything to me. I am the vine, I am the gate. Nobody comes 
to a full life, but through me. Yet to all the singles, still the voices. If I could just find the right person, if the right person could just find me. If I just had someone to come home to, if I just wasn't so anxious about my future, about being alone. Can I ask you a question? Who has your devotion? Are you remaining in him? What is at the center of your heart? If you think you're alone, chances are your devotion is misguided. I was talking to Pastor Brent about my message this week, and he used the word undivided devotion and how important it is for young people to understand that undivided devotion means surrendering everything to God. Here's the idea. My relationship with God is what matters first and last, period. You say, that's easy for you to say. You have a hot wife. Well, thanks for noticing. (laughs) But do you really think practicing devotion, keeping God at the center, is any easier within the confines of marriage? Relationships only have more complications. Life is only more complicated. So to all the singles in the room with your ears wide open, I have to suggest that settling our devotion to God when we're single is actually the way he always intended it to be. Think about this. He's not interested in holding the top spot only until some guy comes in and sweeps you off your feet. That's not God. Until that perfect girl presents you with a big red letter sign and then you move them on down on some relational priority list. Devotion, do you get that? Listen, if you're married, it might be out of whack for you now. You're living for what you want, for what you want your husband to be, or for what you want your wife to be. And living for God settles so many things. Jesus did not come to fill the top slot of anybody's priority list. Scripture actually says that he came to do things like divide and conquer, to establish, to enter death, and to bring life. Let me read this powerful scripture to you about the position that God takes in Matthew 10, verse 34. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. It's like Braveheart kind of language, right? And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. This is metaphorically speaking. He's saying, look, everything that's the closest to you, everything that you try to seek after, if you put that stuff before me, there's going to be problems. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Devotion. I'm suggesting this, that in the waiting, don't spend your life waiting at all. 
Spend it on God. Period. You say, well, that's easy for you to say. You have a hot wife. Well, thanks again for noticing. But when Casey and I met, we had to settle this. I don't want to get too much into the history here, but let me give you a, a little bit of backstory to Casey and I's relationship. And then I'm going to close. We met in college. We didn't begin, begin dating until after we had graduated, and we dated for a year and a half, and we were engaged for six weeks. Six weeks, people. We wanted to get right to it. Marriage and love and happiness is what I'm talking about. We were married in December of 2004, and so it's been nine really long years. I know we're just at the beginning. We're just babies for those of you that have married decades but if you know Casey at all, you know that she lives in a magical world full of rainbows and unicorns. My wife actually farts fairy dust, people. Everything's always on the up and up. I truly believe that if we were in our house and it was burning to the ground, she would grab some marshmallows and just stay in there and roast them. Let's make s'mores! Me? Not so much. I wouldn't consider myself to have the Eeyore spirit by any means, but I'm much more of a realist than my wife. It's kind of what makes it work. She shows me the beauty in the clouds, and I pull her back down to earth. It's a cycle. She's from the deep south, Mississippi. I'm from the northwest in Idaho. She spent her teenage years in beauty pageants, literally, and I spent mine in handcuffs, literally. She comes from a family of all girls. I have three brothers and no sisters. Hence the reason she naturally smells like petunias and I smell more like a dirty trash can. <laughs> but listen, here is the most dynamic difference between my wife and I. I want you to hear this. Her parents have been married for almost 50 years. Between my two parents, there are six divorces. Needless to say, we come from very different places. Her definition of forever had to meet my definition of forever. And I like to say that it happened at the cross. It happened in devotion. You might say, well, you guys were obviously incompatible. If you get down to the nuts and bolts of relationship, what I'm trying to say today is that if you settle devotion while you're single, that if you give God everything, and then you practice measurable virtues along the way, like gratitude and humility and self-control, that you don't have to do so much searching for your spouse. Listen, I'm also not saying that he's going to drop Mr. Wright right into your lap. Some of you are single because you're waiting for some kind of sign from God in the shape of a crown that he's wearing. The man you're looking for isn't going to wear that crown. Only Jesus Christ can wear that crown. So you get into relationships and you become friends and you maintain those friendships for a long time. Everyone say, a long time. A long time. And you're like, how long? 
settle your devotion to God and you don't really have to ask me that. He'll give you wisdom. I hope that I'm pointing out that undivided devotion is where it all starts. It was with Casey and I that the independence from one another actually drew us together. Guys, if you're with a girl that just has to have you around, she's just got to have you and you can't go anywhere else, you got 80 years of that. You better run for the hills. <laughs> There's nothing more attractive about my wife than the way she pursues God. Jeremiah 29, 11, and I'm closing and the band can come back up. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. So many singles have lived to quote this verse over and over in hope, which by the way is another virtue. Practice hope. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you, everyone say it, hope and a future. In verse 12, then you will call on me and Come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you're single, can I encourage you that you're not alone? And if you see yourself as alone, it's time to devote yourself to God. He will never leave you. Back to the animal kingdom for one second. I want you to look at the screen. I'm not sure which one I am. Maybe that one on the left because I'm a little taller than her. <laughs> but you see the heart and the symbol here is that not everything in the animal kingdom happens all crazy and weird with six feet peeing going on. <laughs> but swans, you know what? They find partners for life. So if you're single and in the waiting, he's out there, I promise. She's out there, I promise. It might not be the mentality of the one. But for now, worry less about that. And worry more about practicing measurable virtues. Amen? I want you to close your eyes. I know I've gone over, and I apologize to that. Ross.parsley at onechapel.com. What I want you to see is this. As you close your eyes, I want you to maybe remember this morning which virtue I'm referring to in your life. What's the one that stuck the most out in your mind? Married or single, doesn't matter. 
I want you to get that virtue in your mind. Maybe it was gratitude. Maybe you're too self-focused. Maybe it's humility, also an issue of self-focus. Maybe it's self-control. You're going out of bounds way too often. Maybe it's devotion. Maybe it's more than one. But just for one second, I'm going to pray that the Lord encourages you and helps you to deal with those virtues. Father, thank you for each person here. I ask that you would come and draw near to the weary ones, to the ones that can't quite figure it out, to the ones that are struggling. And Father, these measurable virtues for every single person in this room, I pray that you would give us courage to own up to them, to begin to practice them in practical ways. In Jesus' name.